This is Joy. And this is Claire. And this is Sassy. <laughs> oh, Sassy's just jiving right in. Sassy's As here. I feel like at this you point, know, maybe. it's We were looking at the last time you were on, and I was like, maybe it was January? And no, it was September of 2022, so it's been way too long and overdue. So for the people who might be newer, brief intro. Most everybody who has listened to the podcast for a long time knows you, but give the new people a hello. I am Sassy, otherwise known as Laura Ligos. Um, I am a registered dietitian, have been now for over 10 years, which is wild to me. Um, I'm not that old and or that qualified, but apparently I am. I have a private practice specializing in in improving relationship with food and optimizing health with basically ditching diet culture. I mostly work with women, but usually their partners end up joining in too. So I also accept men if their partners are men. And yeah, I don't know what else. I am a mom to a now two-year-old. Like, where did time go? I don't know. How did that Um, And I live in upstate New York, if anyone cares. We definitely care, and we also care that you have a dog named... Oh, yes, and I have a dog named Bodhi, who jumps off the deck every day on Instagram. Which is truly a highlight of my day. He literally jumps off every time, and anytime he hasn't jumped off and I post a video, the amount of messages I get asking if he's okay. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, he's just a And when we say jumped off the deck, it's a wind-up run, and then a flying leap off of her deck into the yard like a Superman dive. And it is the most satisfying, joyful thing to watch. And I look for it almost every day. <laughs> and one day I was like, Laura, can you just record like 10 seconds more? I like want to see where he goes afterwards. <laughs> uh, that's why I record more now because of you, Joy. I literally like let it go. I'm like, where is he going to go today? And the people are invested because when he goes the wrong way, I didn't even know. Like, I didn't even... That's how much I pay attention to my poor dog. Like, I didn't know he always goes left. And apparently, he always goes left. And when he goes right, people are very concerned. Yeah. I always see him going a certain direction. It's... Yeah. It is really, really funny. So, it's a good follow. And you have really good... You're a good follow for your Q&A day. I love the things that you post are, like, really informative, but also funny. You post really cute stories of your kiddo and, like... The um, when he was a baby, the amount of food that he would eat. I mean, still, he eats a lot. But like, I would really look forward to when you're feeding Connor. It was so satisfying to watch him eat. And I don't know why it was like, I would look forward to watching him just like, pick and we could talk more about this. And we have said things about this before, like how kids are just so intuitive around what they want, because he would just like pick and choose and shove things in his mouth and be like, that's delicious. No, I'm done with that. And he ate so much food and it was amazing. So much food. And I will say he is just an above average eater. Like he just eats a lot of food. And I feel like I'll get questions of like, how'd you get him to eat? And I'm like, I literally just put food in front of him. I cannot take any credit to how he eats. And he is now he's a toddler. He's, you know, way pickier and has way so many opinions about what he will and won't eat and how much and how little and on what plate and from what, you know, yeah, a, lot of a lot of preferences. In what order, in what in shape, what order, in what yes. quantity, in, in what yes. temperature and everything. If I touched it, it's <laughs> no-go, but if he touches it, okay. And right. if I touch cut the table and, oh yeah, you yeah, cut it wrong. It's fine, yeah. We're slowly emerging from that. Navy's now four, almost four and a half, but it's still like the hot dog's like you got to cook the hot dog and then slice it. You can't slice it and then cook it. It's a different texture. Uh. <laughs> I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about what you mean about people like undoing diet culture. So I feel like most people come to me after they've tried a lot of different things. So they've done recently, I feel like less people are doing Weight Watchers, but they've done it in the past. 
like they have a history of their mom doing it or they were doing it. Now a lot of people come to me from things like Noom. A lot of people, because we were in the CrossFit space, I have a lot of people who have done zone diet. Can't believe that thing's still a thing. Um, Whole30, keto, RP, macros, all of that. And none of them have found sustainable relationships with food while doing that. It's a lot of all or nothing thinking. So they feel like if they're not on Whole30 or they're not on keto or they're not doing RP, then they're not healthy and that they can't maintain their weight or maintain their performance or whatever it is they're looking for. So for, I like to use this analogy of a house. So a lot of people come to me and, you know, within the first two or two or three sessions, they'll say, okay, but what are my calories? What are my macros? And I say, we're not there yet. You almost have to earn your calories and macros, especially if you come from a disordered relationship with food. And so we, we think of it as a house. Your macros um, and your calories are kind of like your furnishing. They're like your couch and your bed and things like that. They're important and they really can matter. But what's the point of them if you don't have a foundation and a roof over your house? The second it rains or there's any weather, they're going to be ruined. And so we talk a lot about how laying a foundation of a healthy relationship with food and body and health can be really important and can be the foundation and the structure and the roof of your house. And once we get that, then I think we earn the right to be able to use calories and macros. And that being said, not everyone comes from a, a house that doesn't have a roof on it, right? Like a lot of people come with that structure, or maybe it was like blown down by a friend or a family member or a coach. So we can, you know, learn to rebuild it. But that's the analogy I like to use people understand. It's not that calories and macros are bad. It's just they're not normally the foundation of your health. Really, what we're trying to do is rebuild that foundation, rebuild that house structure, um, and then figure out like, what furnishing do we need? Do you need to count calories? Or do you really just learn need to learn how to cook? You know, do you need to real like talk differently about your body? Do you need to buy new clothes? Like what is it that actually would furnish your house and make sense? And for some people, it certainly could be macro counting, but it's not an all or nothing thing. So Oh, I asked that question, because I feel like the phrase diet culture means a million different things. And you know, we say anti diet culture or rebuilding from diet or recovering or whatever from diet culture. And it can mean anything from like your personal history with diet habits to the wide world of body expectations and the culture that a lot of us grew up in where dieting was sort of synonymous with the, I mean, the majority of the food industry was just synonymous with diet foods. And I think it's been interesting over the last couple of years to, and really just the last like year to, to hear that phrase evolve. And I think diet culture, at least to us, used to really specifically mean like specific diets. And now it really is an, not a catch-all in a bad way, but a catch-all term for like, you're realizing that under every stone that you turn over is a belief that if you really dig into it, traces back to a diet or a belief you have about, you know, physical body hierarchy and white supremacy, honestly, and Eurocentric bodies and that it's so ingrained into health culture, fitness culture, quote unquote, wellness, you know, all of the above. We talk a lot about the things that you're ranting about, some of the things that you post on social media, and you and I kind of like, talk all the time about this, just how social media can be such a crazy place. But you talk a lot about like the trends too of what's going on in diet culture. And one of those recently in a lot of the headlines for the past, I'd say, what, six months is like Ozempic and all these diet pills and um, medications that people, people who perhaps don't need it 
for medical necessity or going, I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of like throw, I don't know the answer to that or I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn, but like perhaps they don't need it for medical necessity or asking for it. So talk about that and how you're handling that as a dietitian. So I made a comment the other day about how I feel like weight loss is like everywhere and people were like, it's been everywhere forever. And I'm like, absolutely it has. What I mean is that it's now even in like your doctor's office when you go for like an ear infection, it's everywhere. And so we have these new class of drugs. They're actually not like, they're not new as of a few months ago. They're new as a few years ago. And they came about their uh, GLP-1 um medications. There's a few different ways in which they work in the body, but they were originally intended for type two diabetics who had, um, you know, I would say uncontrolled diabetes. So they were having things like neuropathy and vision problems and all that stuff. And so they found that it helped with the insulin response to sugar and insulin is a hormone that helps with the utilization of glucose. So it pulls it out of your blood. So it's not just glycating or covering all of your red blood cells. And so that's great. But as we know with most medications is that we tend to find different things that it can use, be used for. I mean, you look back at Viagra for one, <laughs> like that was originally a heart medication. Um, so we can definitely find like other benefits to it, but we found that a lot of these patients were losing weight on the medication, which for, for a lot of intents and purposes was great because losing weight can improve insulin sensitivity, which then improves their diabetes. But now it seems that it's gotten into the hands of one, a lot of celebrities who just want to lose five pounds and influencers. Um, and it's just become so readily available. And it's become like providers are handing it out like candy to those who are just looking to lose weight. That wasn't the uh, intention of it. And so what's happening is that, you know, doctors are just saying, oh, well, your BMI is X. I believe the standard is that if you have a BMI over 27, which is really not that high, and we know BMI is BS anyway, and you have a comorbidity, so like hypertension or something like that, then you qualify. If you're over BMI of 30, you qualify. Like there's no other, uh, no other reasons that you need to like qualify for it. To put this into perspective, I qualify because I have high cholesterol, which by the way is genetic, haven't done anything to cause it. There is not a lot in terms of lifestyle and diet that I can do to get on, you know, to, I mean, there's a little bit that I can do that I am doing, but it's still technically high. I think my total cholesterol is like 201 where the, the barrier right. is 199. <laughs> and I think my BMI is like 28 or 29. So like just, you know, I'm not saying, again, we talk about this all the time. You can't tell a lot by just looking at someone. To put this into perspective, I am not someone who I think would typically be considered for a medication of this caliber. But under these qualifications, I could walk into a doctor's office and walk out with a prescription. So what's happening is this is where I really get frustrated for my clients is say Claire were to walk into her OBGYN. This has happened to my clients. She goes in for her annual visit. They're checking out everything down below. Everything is good. Then they look at her chart and they say, oh, well, hey, you know, your BMI is X and you've got this comorbidity. Would you like some Wigovi? So Wigovi is the one that they often prescribe for um, just weight loss no type two diabetes. This is literally happening to my clients when they went in and their doctor says, everything looks good. And hey, by the way, you qualify. So now a client goes in 
with maybe questions about like, you know, their menstrual cycle or their sexual health. And now they're coming out basically with a weight loss medication prescription when they didn't even like their doctor didn't even address their weight in the in the first place. And the, the patient had no concerns about their weight. This is why I know that I qualify is because I had my annual and my doctor was and it's it wasn't even like, again, I walk in at no point, and I'm like, hey, I gained some weight recently and I'm worried about it. I didn't bring it up at all. From I went from 145 to 155 for the, over the course of the past year. And she was like, you know, it looks like you've gained a little bit of weight. Are you interested in talking about these types of medications? And I was like, no. Why are they trying to push it? Well, so here's, here's the flip side of it. So if you know, I have talked to a few providers who I try to be pretty empathetic toward providers because I used to work in that in the system and the system is broken. It's so broken. And so yes, money is part of it because they get reimbursement. You know, they're not reimbursing for preventative medicine. They're not reimbursing for preventative dietetic services. But the other thing is, is that think about the um, providers are seeing like 20 plus patients a day. That's really hard. I saw 20 patients a day in a hospital and I developed panic attacks because I was so stressed out and I felt like I literally could do nothing. And so there is a crisis in the healthcare system of just like burnt out um, healthcare providers. And so the other problem is, so to say they're seeing 20 patients, you come in and you're someone who you live a relatively healthy lifestyle, right? You're active. You like to cook food for yourself. You know, you have the means to do so. You know, there's a lot of things like that. And so they're not actually taking that into account. They have no idea you versus the 19 other patients. The 19 other patients come in and say, hey, doc, I want to lose weight. And the doctor, one, doesn't have the education to be educating them on diet and lifestyle because they have zero nutrition education. And two, they're just, I think the doctors are just fed up and they're like, well, this is a tool that I can I can use and I know it works and you'll come back to me and you'll be happy because you lost the weight. We're not actually addressing the the underlying reasons of why this client isn't losing weight and if it's something that we should address or not. And so now they're looking at a list of 20 people. And if your BMI and your health care or your health um, conditions add up, they're like, oh, well, this person's going to want it anyway. So I might as well recommend it. So I try to look at it from that perspective, too. I don't agree with it. I think that's lazy medicine. I think that we can do way better. But I think that's a lot of the reasons why it's happening, too, because you're coming in saying, you know, you're not saying anything. <laughs> you're just like, hey, I'm good. I'm just coming in for an annual visit. Um, but, you know, the tube after you are saying like, I want to lose weight. I think also, I know you always get blowback on this whenever you post about it on Instagram. Nobody here is saying that there's no there's no such thing as a time and place for this medication. If that were true, like if there was no like credible reason for this medication to be out there, then it wouldn't exist. Of course, there are people out there who are really having an issue with a number of things that this is going to address in a way that makes sense after they've had a conversation with their doctor, that maybe they've also pursued a few other options that aren't working, this is going to be helpful for them. We're not saying that those people don't exist. I think the crazy thing that you're seeing and that we see a little bit from our world as well is what we're talking about now, where it's like suddenly in the last six months, eight months, it just feels like every single person is looking for it, is is trying to take it, is trying to get it I mean, I when I was in Mexico in February, you could buy it at the airport and it was like sold out at half the places you could just buy. And it was, it was like 300 bucks. And there were, I'm not even exaggerating, like lines out the door of these airport pharmacies of just people to buy, like going there to buy it. And I mean, again, Mexican medical tourism is has always been a thing, but it is just like a fad, not a actual, like what we're talking about is the use of it as a fad, not the use of it to actually address the conditions that it was designed Correct. to address. 
And not to mention, I mean, look at the history. Like we have FenFen, like we know that that was terrible. Like we don't know the long-term effects of these drugs. I was just going to ask that. Like, what do you, what do you think is going to happen? So we know that, so you also then look at like bariatric surgery, right? And the the long-term success rate of that is not great. And so in the short term, it certainly can reduce risk of stroke and heart attack and more of those pressing matters because we do know that after a certain amount of adiposity, like it can be like contraindicated to overall health. And so we know that it can help in the short term. What we don't know is, is is it going to help in the long term? And so the question I ask is, what I actually think of you guys all the time. I go, what's the plan for this? Like literally, what is the plan for this? Right? You're gonna put. Really yeah, I literally that. say it to like any really client or provider I'm talking to, and I'm like, I'm literally joining. I think that's the name of this episode. <laughs> what's the plan for this? But it's true. Like, what is the long term yes. plan? The short term plan, yes, it can get some body weight off, but what's the long term plan? We don't know. And so when I ask providers, it's usually like, oh well, I guess they just stay on it. And then I've also heard patients being told that, well, when this kind of stops working we can up the dose or we can we can try a different medication. So like they have to be on medication forever and ever. Right. And then I start going to like, okay, well then is big pharma behind this because who's benefiting from this, right? Like and I'm not anti-medication. I'm not I believe that medication does serve a purpose, but well, but of course, how do of all these people suddenly need this medication? And ultimately, this is an appetite suppressant. So it's, I believe it increases the insulin production of your from your pancreas. So then it's basically like gobbling up your glucose. And then I believe it does something with um, your appetite as well. Um, so a lot of people say they don't have an appetite, which then I go, okay, so then are we completely messing with people's hunger and satiety cues? And people already don't know what their hunger and satiety cues do. They already don't know. Yeah. And I think that's where I get so frustrated is I've worked with so many clients on these concepts and I, I just see it day in and day out that people don't know what hungry and full is. They don't know how to feed themselves and how to take care of themselves and how to prioritize themselves. And I'm like, imagine if we lived in a society that allowed that to be possible. Like, it's just so many things are going unaddressed and we're just throwing our hands up and saying, oh, well, this medication works. But like, why aren't the people, why aren't people getting more vacation? Why aren't people being offered salads instead of McDonald's? Like, why, like, why is that oh, the man. cheap food and not the vegetable? Like, it's just you could go on and on and a lot of it's systemic and a lot of it is like so much deeper than just a dietitian saying you know eat this not that and so I get that like I can't fix it all it's a system in which we're living in it's so hard but it's like it just gets me so fired up because I'm like you're not giving like you're not helping anybody by just saying well here's a medication to lose five pounds and so the other issue, there's so many issues. <laughs> Another issue is that if uh, diet and lifestyle are not addressed while on this medication, people can then lose a lot of muscle mass, which is not something we want to lose because if anyone has tried to put on muscle, you know how hard and how long it can take to do so. And when we decrease muscle mass, we can increase our fall risk. We can increase our risk of getting injured and breaking bones and all of that. And so now all of a sudden, okay, you might've lost weight, but did you lose the fat you wanted to lose? Like fat loss is different than just overweight loss. And if we're not focusing on eating enough protein and building muscle, doing strength training while on these medications, then we run the risk of losing a ton of muscle mass. And they've done research to show this. So we know this. And so I, I have friends who are care providers within the conventional medicine system. They are, they are recommending that 
client or patients do strength training plus eat protein, but they're like, you know, the 99% of our other providers here, they're just handing it out and they're not giving the education and letting people know that like, this is a serious risk. If you're losing muscle, like that's not going to be easy to put back on. And it's not good for long-term health. Okay. This is an extreme thing to say, but I'm like, it's kind of like someone who perhaps uses substances to cover a trauma. It's like, you're not, you can't fix something with, with a medication or even just kind of like saying, I want to go on, which is fine. Some people do it. Like I want to go on an antidepressant, but I don't want to deal with my childhood trauma. That's making like that maybe contributing to some of this depression. It's kind of like that thing where we just want the quick fix without like really changing the behavior and the behavior change is really the most important the most important piece of change long term, like there's just no but people want the quick fix so bad. And we're just like waiting for the day that a quick fix is going to happen. And like, maybe this is the miracle drug. But it's just like those cycles. I actually uh, texted you a while ago, where I was like, I wish you would just do a chart of all the diets that have come and gone, like all the trends, I'm sure it exists out there, all the trends that have come and gone and why they've not worked out. So people can like, when right. we and then learn? you could probably see when they come back, because they all end up coming back. So that actually would be, I'll look and dig and see if I can find, because that would be amazing. Yeah. Of like, and then it comes back to not work, you know? So it's like, it's just showing people that eventually. Well, it's like how everyone was saying, you know, keto is just another package of Atkins and, you know, that new, I mean, obviously Noom is another just low fat, 1200 calorie or less cookie cutter diet. And they just come back with a different bow wrapped around them. I think this is really going to be interesting to see how it does play out in the sense that this is like a, you know, this is a prescription drug. First of all, it's also an injectable, which is wild to me that people are just lining up to like inject themselves with things when... And it's expensive. It's like over a thousand dollars for a lot of these seven day. So it's a, it's a one, one time per week injection. Right. Wait, so wait, 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 time out. It's, it's like uh, someone in the chat said it's like not covered by insurance. Yeah. So if you, if you need it what? for diet, this, here's my understanding. Typically for some reason, I like I read all the New York times things about this. They put out cause I find it fascinating. My understanding, I could be wrong is that if you do have diabetes and this is being used as a diabetes control drug, typically insurance will cover it. If you are trying to get it, for off-label use for weight loss, you can still get it prescribed by your doctor for that use legally, but your insurance will say, wait a minute, this isn't what this medication is supposed to be used for. We're not covering it. And that is a problem that people run into all the time with BS, our health insurance system is a nightmare. If you're trying to try something out, you know, like and medication for your asthma is not working, they want to put you on something else. Asthma is a bad example. But, you know, they'll try you maybe on a couple different things and your insurance at any time can come in and go, wait a minute, this medication is not supposed to be for that. We're not going to cover it. It's not like a medical necessity for that diagnosis. Yeah. yeah even, even if in some cases, you know, like in a different medical for a different medical use it could be it could be helpful so this this happens all the time right in our in our insurance system but that's my understanding is that insurance will look at it and say this is a drug that's only approved by the fda to be to treat type 2 diabetes you don't have type 2 diabetes we're not going to cover it and in that case it's a thousand dollars or more per month if you're supposed to be on it kind of indefinitely but at least most people i think are taking it for like six months at least so you're out at six least. grand at i've least. actually had i had a follower so i feel like when i post this i get really my dms like get really heated but there's some people who give me really valuable information and i had a girl who works in insurance and she said there's actually there's now becoming a lot of pushback because doctors are handing it out like candy and so the insurance companies are starting to push back and be like whoa 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 like what like what are we using all of this for so 
I think so then because of that, you have people going to places like Mexico, but then there's also a lot of compounding pharmacies who are compounding drugs to form similar knockoff brands that are $600 or $500. Um, so they're making bank off of people because people are like, oh, well, it's half the cost. So like, I might as well do this. And, you know, if I'm going to pay out of pocket for it anyway, at least I'm paying for half of it. Um, the FDA just came out and said that those are not safe. I mean, I would never recommend someone go that route anyway. Um, we already know that the side effects of the Bogovi and Ozempic and all of the on-brand ones um, are great. I mean, it's nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, but then there's also risk of cancer and other things that like I wouldn't necessarily want for any of my clients. So, um, and I've had a lot of people just say they have no appetite, like they can't eat. And I think that's sad too, because I think that there should be a lot of joy wrapped up in food. And it makes me really sad that we're also taking that away from people. I mean, the same thing can be said about bariatric surgery, right? Like a lot of people no longer can eat the way that they, they used to. And we didn't necessarily change their behaviors. We just changed the structure of their stomach. And so back to the, what you were saying too, Joy, is like, I think that we we miss a lot of things. And so there uh, there has been some studies looking at how Ozempic and these drugs are actually helping with addiction. But then once again, like, are we just not addressing the trauma that led to the addiction, right? Like, once again, we're not helping people actually recover and heal and deal with these past issues that then usually lead to a food issue, right? Because food is something that we can actively control. Uh, it's something that we're going to be right. put, it's going to be put in front of us. Um, and so now we're just using, once again, this is a, a very expensive band-aid with what's the plan for this we don't we don't actually know the long-term plan the long-term side effects i also i read something recently and that was like you know people are lining up to get ozempic or wagovi or whatever and a lot of these are the same people who wouldn't get the covid vaccine because they're like we don't know the long-term effects it's like guys i hate to tell you this <laughs> it's not apples to apples i understand bashing that, my head but, against the wall so right. we have far right more now. information on that <laughs> than we do on these new injectables but hey what do we know absolutely yeah yeah yeah. yeah, maybe if the COVID vaccine had made you drop 15 pounds. Um, so I think the other thing that I am always curious about that's wrapped up in this is the, like Joy sort of talking about this in the chat, like you were talking about this coming from Hollywood, like this coming from, you know, a couple of celebrities who kind of made headline news and influencers, people influencers. with large followings. Right. And I, I'm I'm always really interested, you know, every time there's a New York Times headline about, like I said, like I've been reading all the articles, part of me is like, okay, this is interesting from like a watching a train wreck point of view. But there's also the really big side effect or the really big downstream effect of this is that there's a huge shortage for the people who actually need it. And that is one of the things that's made a lot of headlines too, is like if you have diabetes and you actually really need this medication, like to help you stay alive, you are having a very hard time finding it and have been four months. Yeah. And it, there, I mean, there's been a lot of different shortages. Like there's, I think ADHD med shortages too. And it's like, you know, you're using this for something that you don't actually need it for, but there are people who are seriously struggling. And I don't think people realize that. And it's really sad because then the problem because is that the person who is a type two diabetic, who has uncontrolled diabetes, who has now got it under control, when they come off of it, things kind of backslide. And so the same goes with the weight loss, right? But that's a little less um, medically urgent than correct. And, and so, so that's, that is concerning. Yeah. And it's like, how do we, how do we also get that? And, and why are celebrities doing this for five pounds? Because we live in an incredibly fat phobic society. And that's a whole nother issue that this is wrapped up in too, right? 
right? We're so concerned over the fact that, you know, BMI over 27 must be unhealthy that we're missing the whole picture of, well, actually, maybe some of these like smaller celebrities who have really disordered eating patterns and are taking medications and are only drinking, you know, mimosas and eating fruit, like, is that, that actually might be the problem, right? Like their diet and lifestyle and their behaviors and all of that are a bigger problem than uh, those who might be a BMI of 30 and actually be completely healthy. I recently watched the Smartless on the Road documentary series. So Smartless, for anyone who's not familiar, is a podcast hosted by Will Arnett, Sean, Sean, help me out in this chat, (laughs) and Jason Bateman. Sean Hayes, thank you. Will Arnett, Sean Hayes, Jason Bateman, host a podcast called Smartlist. It's really good. It's probably one of the top podcasts right now. But they did a HBO series, documentary series. They took their podcast on the road. And so they kind of like followed him around in between their shows. And it's really, really funny. But what is very apparent now, this is with male celebrities, right? They have massive issues with food. It's so interesting to me as I was watching this. Now, of course, me being someone who's had issues with food, food, I could spot it like a mile away. (laughs) Like, but it's so it's like sad and they kind of joke about it. And you get that they're also being serious about it. But like Jason Bateman has, I would say an eating disorder and then will kind of makes fun of him throughout the whole documentary series they're always talking about like what they're gonna have for dinner and they joke with jason about how he doesn't eat and he only eats lettuce and like he's running on the treadmill like six miles a day and but it just kind of got me thinking of like not only that is today i listened to their episode a is like normalizing that and just kind of like still making light of that it's almost like they say it not so outwardly so that we kind of like gloss over it but you kind of go wait a minute like that's there's a problem there i was listening to the episode with kaylee cuoco yes will express concern about jason like kind of side note probably because people were are giving feedback like are you okay like blink if you're okay because he mentioned something about like only eating a cup of apples one day and he's like he only ate a cup of apples but with Kaylee they're talking to her and the language they use it was like this Freudian slip actually not so Freudian slip but it was very apparent to me that like these this is how people in Hollywood talk and they can't get out of it they were commenting she had a baby five weeks ago okay they were commenting about she looks skinny they said you look so good uh they were commenting about how she's always so thin and it was like, oh my like god, you guys! They can't, they can't, they can't help. I mean, mostly Sean Hayes was doing that type of talk, but it was so like, it was I just know. so Every, apparent. Every once in a while, I think like we're doing it. We're getting out of, we're getting out from under the cloud. Every once then, in a while, and then something I like immerse myself in a culture that is not just my tiny little bubble, and I'm like, ah, crap. No one but me it's, and Laura and Joy. It, yeah, <laughs> like we're the only ones here that really care. Out, I, and our wonderful communities are yeah. crawling out from under this cloud. Yeah, and it's wild to me that I mean. Even if you know you're walking around and you're at work and someone's like, "Oh, you look great," that you know you look so skinny, you look great. And it's like those words cannot still be synonymous. Why are we Why still are commenting we still on people's using bodies? those yeah. As synonyms? Yeah. Why are we still commenting Period. on people's bodies? Yeah. Period. Why are we still using skinny to mean great and using those as synonyms? Exactly. And, like right, you look like, good, you look right. skinny was like used in the same I don't know type of like 
sentence together. And it was just like, oh my God, you guys stop. Yeah, not like five weeks postpartum. Stop. Like, hey, how are you doing? Like, how how are you five doing? Weeks how is everything going? What do you need? What kind of support do you need? What your What's your baby like? What's your favorite part of motherhood so far? Like, those are the things we should be asking and yeah. saying as opposed to making. But that's just the society that we're in. And then you add something like Hollywood where their bodies are more or less their business cards. They're and so, that's the commodity. but yeah. then I mean, we that's... put so much value in people like that, in influencers, in sports athletes, like, and it's crazy. This is where performative allyship comes in because, and I could go off on 12 tangents, but I won't, I'm just gonna leave it right there. Is like Hollywood does performative allyship of like, see, we have people in larger bodies. We have diversity. We have, and then at the end of the day, it's like, but you're so skinny. Like, <laughs> well, you look at people like um, Adele and the amount of praise that they got when they lost weight was so sad because like what if they're healthy by all means like I'm not going to sit here and judge your body whether you're thin or large but we just immediately went to oh my god they look amazing oh my god what did they do I need to know what they did because I want to be that way as opposed to like we were we were just in the last breath praising them for being in larger bodies and being women with amazing voices and amazing talent and now all of a sudden we've just diminished that and said oh well actually we did care about their weight so right now we're just going to have an entire news cycle dedicated to their weight loss we just need like I was thinking about this today because I knew we were going to talk and I was like we need some type of you know how it's like it all starts at like all the celebrities and all I don't know if we just like put people on a pedestal of like true representations of bodies, normal bodies, whatever that is, like a, a wide range of bodies. But because the people at the top pick the roles and pick the actors and actresses, uh, or I guess they're all called actors these days, it's fine. But like, they pick all these actors to put them in these starring roles. And that's what we see all the time. So it's like that it's, it's a larger way larger issue. But I was like, Oh, I just wish it was like, we lived in a different time where, you know, we didn't, that wasn't the, there was no like goal of reaching we a certain play, aesthetic. We place so much value on that. You even look, go back, going back to like the doctor's office. What's the first thing you do when you walk into any doctor's office? You get way Always on top of people's mind of like, this must be the most important part of who I am and my health because my doctor's doing it and the celebrities are talking about it and all of this. And my, my client literally sent me yesterday a photo of, um, she goes to, um, I guess it's an audio audiologist for hearing and she had to fill out, you know, how you feel like the survey or whatever, the questionnaire before you go. And it said something about BMI. My client is pregnant. And so her BMI is higher right now than it normally is. <laughs> like I would hope so. And so it said, your BMI is above 25. Would you like support with weight loss? And I was like, one, 25 is not large. And it's not, I mean, once again, BMI is BS. Like really, we shouldn't be using it, period. Right. right. It doesn't take Correct. anything. It literally should not. Doesn't matter why you weigh yes. that. You could be nine months pregnant. You, I will never forget the first time I had this light bulb moment. And this was years ago for me. I know we've all had this a million times. But the first time I remember hearing about this was Jason Kalipa posted something about how his like life insurance went way up because his BMI was so high. And I was like, oh, this that was the first moment where I was like, oh, now I see what you're talking about. Like You can be an elite athlete who is just super thick <laughs> and they're they're looking at two numbers and they're like you must be unhealthy because look at how much you weigh you could be nine months pregnant and they're like you're being nice too high it's like sir 
there are two people in here right also, now. Also, like, one, zoom out, right? Like, I feel like one of my professors in undergrad, I loved her. And she always said, like, you need to do the eye test. And we're like, what was the eye test? Everyone's like, you know, jotting it down, like, oh my God, is this going to be on the thing? And she's like, everybody just look up right now. And we all looked up because we were all being studious. And she's like, just look at your patient. Look at them. You can learn so much by looking at someone. And I promise you, I have had clients who have been quote unquote in the healthy range, healthy BMI range, who looked terrible because their energy was bad. They weren't sleeping. They weren't getting menstrual cycles. The the list goes on. And then they gained a little bit of weight and their BMI is now quote unquote overweight or whatever. And they, they're vibrant, they're happy, they're sleeping, they're, they have a libido again, like their menstrual cycle is back. Like, there's so many things that could happen. And if we were to just look at their BMI, we missed so much. And not to mention, why is an audiologist looking at BMI? That's, that also, we were like, the fact that we put place so much emphasis on weight, no matter where we go, we can't separate ourselves from it because we're like, well, that must be what's important, right? I remember reading, probably it was like a tweet or something that it was somebody saying, you know, when you walk into the doctor's office, instead of putting you on the scale, they should just ask you, or has your weight gone up or down in a way that's that can't be explained by a lifestyle change? Mm. If so, is are, do you have any concerns about it? And, it? and okay, great. Then let's weigh you. Let's see what that number is. Let's talk about it. But nine times out of 10, first of all, if you've gained weight, you're well aware that you've gained weight. You don't need to talk about it with your doctor. You don't need to sit there and hash out why you've gained 10 or 20 pounds in, in the last year. You're already likely in the world we live in feeling bad about it and trying to, you know, build yourself up and like trying to listen to your friends who say it's not a big deal or trying to listen to the people out in the world who say, Hey, bodies change and thank God they change. And you know, you got to like, you can't let this get to your head or in the opposite direction, you know, going in. I remember I had, I'm sure I've told this on the podcast before, but I remember going through a miscarriage and having a CrossFit coach tell me you look great. And I was like, yeah, I just lost a pregnancy. I mean, I didn't say that, in that moment, like I didn't feel like having to ex- like to experience that person's reaction because that was like a whole other thing. But it's like that's what we always go back to is if somebody loses weight, you don't know why. And it really just what we just need to stop commenting on people's bodies. We just need to stop making that like the thing. So you work a lot with females and it's one of your specialties. I want to know a little bit about fueling for performance, aging, and this is a selfish question because I'm 45 and I kind of think a lot about hormones. It's a broad question and I know a lot of it is like it depends, which we always joke about like there's a every time someone asks you in your Q&A, you're like it depends, it depends on the person. The, a lot of the rhetoric that I've been hearing a lot about for women, maybe women in of all ages, but especially for women who are over 40 is like prioritizing protein. Well, so I think most people should be prioritizing protein. And the reason being is that if you don't prioritize protein, you're likely not going to eat it. Like that's the major reason I tell people, right? Like we can find a bag of chips. That's a good point. And so I I think it's a great, I think once again, (laughs) a lot of these like things that we come up with in diet culture and beyond, like a lot of them are rooted in things that actually matter. We can, we can, probably find something good in almost, not everything, but almost everything. So protein is huge because it helps to support lean body mass and it doesn't spike your blood sugar like carbohydrates would. Um, And so there's a lot of value there. And we also find that, so there's a lot more stuff coming out about perimenopause, which is the time leading up to menopause. It's usually for women lasts about 10 to 15 years, which many women don't realize could last that long. Um, And so this is a time that they'll call like hormonal chaos. 
And because it is because your body, you're basically your ovaries are starting to shut down and they're starting to say like, Hey, we're done, but we're not done yet. And so when that so like, if you want to look from like a biological perspective of like what's happening is that your ovaries are one of your major product major producers of estrogen. And when those shut down, your body no longer can make estrogen from your ovaries. So it has to transition to um, your fat cells and your adrenals. And so we can cert- we, st- we still produce estrogen. Estrogen is important for a lot of functions in the body, as well as testosterone for women. Progesterone too, but you're not going to, you're not going to produce any more progesterone once you're no longer ovulating because it's progestation. So for pregnancy, but estrogen and t- testosterone are still going to be happy being produced in the menopausal period, but our ovaries are no longer contributing to that. And so what we're finding is that if we don't address our weight and our lifestyle prior to menopause, um, we may end up like, I don't want to say like screwed because I feel like that's not fair. There's a lot of things you can do in menopause, but we, it just makes life harder if we're not addressing it. But then you have to back up and think, okay, for those who are, are premenopausal or in perimenopause, where are they in their life stage, right? They tend to be in their 40s where they're still working. Their life tends to be really stressful because they're like at the top of their career. They're taking care of elderly patients. They have kids. They have a lot of different things. Um, and so parents, parents think, oh my God. Yes, elderly parents. parents. Right. Elderly parents and maybe patients. They could be patients too. But yes. Maybe elderly pa- patients. I don't know your life. Yeah. Jacqueline, who listens to this podcast, teaches water aerobics at a haunted nursing home. So, you know, we're talking to you. Yeah. Jacqueline's one of our listeners that's always in the chat with us. And she actually wrote us one year about a ghost that she saw in the nursing home that she works at. Like, and then so recently, she was, like yeah, she was in the, yeah. And she was in the chat. She's like, oh, and I, that's amazing. Also teach water aerobics at the nurse, the haunted nurse. So great. So, yeah. So, elderly patients and or parents. Um, and so, you also then think about this, your lifestyle at this point, right? It's not slowing down when your body is kind of slowing down. Your body is kind of like, hey, like we'd like to maybe transition into a less stressful time of your life. And you're like, hey, so about that, we're going to be really stressed right now and we'll deal with it later. And then when you deal with it later, that's where a lot of people say like they have stubborn fat in menopausal years because their body kind of just settled there. So we were just talking about how we need to stop focusing on weight loss. And then we're talking about having like stubborn fat and wanting to lose weight before you enter menopause. So I just want to acknowledge the like dichotomy of what we're saying. So the whole point of this is that like the reason I bring this up is that's where a lot of this is coming from. That's why we're talking about prioritizing protein because we recognize that perimenopause is a great time to be focusing on your body composition. Now, that being said, you might not need to lose weight. You might be totally happy with where you are. And so it's just a matter of kind of understanding what's happening with your hormones during that period and understanding, you know, the, we basically don't want to be overburdening our adrenals ever really. Our adrenals are our stress hormone factory. And if we overburden it before menopause, then one, we tend to have a more chaotic perimenopause. So we probably have more symptoms like hot flashes and things like that because our body is stressed out. So you're saying, I just want to make sure I'm I'm tracking you. So you're saying like the overstress of your body, you really need to make sure that you're keeping track of stress and taking care of yourself and not like overdoing it as you're going into menopause because menopause itself is such a stressful thing on the body. You're transitioning how you're making hormones. So you're going from your ovaries doing a lot of the production of hormones to now your adrenals and your fat cells are the only thing able to produce it. Which around the around like the weight gain stuff, that is a thing. Like Sandy always talks about like, she's like, I just don't understand why my body did this. And that's kind of, that's a very common thing I hear women 
women who are like going right, into like, menopause. I, a, I was in a similar body throughout my whole life. And then all of a sudden I hit menopause, everything changed. Yeah. Our hormones do this naturally. And so that may mean that we, women are supposed to carry more fat. We're not supposed to be, and it's not shaming the lean people who are lean either. Right. But it's just saying that like women right, are right, supposed right. to carry a little bit more fat. And women, as if anyone follows Dr. Stacey Sims, she always says the phrase like women are not small men. So we're constantly comparing ourselves to that. We shouldn't. And it's okay right. that we carry more fat. It's a matter of, so then you can say, okay, like I feel like I am giving whiplash with like the weight talk, <laughs> but it's a matter of just saying like we, we can use the perimenopause phase to kind of check in and say, what are we doing? You know, what, what could we be helping our body with? And so then you come back to protein. So that was a long circle to come back and say, protein is incredibly valuable because it helps with the blood sugar response. It also helps with the body composition. So having more protein allows our body to rebuild our muscle and improve our overall body composition to have more lean body mass because more lean body mass means that we are stronger and we're able to do more. We can perform better and there's other, I guess, calorie reasons too, but um, protein is really important for everything and going back to prioritizing it. I think it's important for people to do that because if we don't, we're not just going to eat it. I will gladly eat a whole carton of blueberries if it sits in front of me. I don't have to do anything. But if we're talking about chicken, (laughs) I'm not going to eat it raw. Like, hello, I'm not the liver king. So it's a matter of just prioritizing it so that it actually gets on your plate. And the cool thing is we live in an era where you can buy rotisserie chicken. Crater Joe's has tons of cooked chicken breasts. Like there are so many great options now, thank God, that it, it has become more convenient. But protein is incredibly important for honestly all stages of life, not just like, I, I hate that women just get like, oh, well, you're this, you're that, you need that. Well, I think everyone could benefit from protein. How about female athletes? Do you feel like, because this came up in my brain as I was training for this 10-mile race, where I was like, oh, is this is this good for me long-term? You know, there's that argument of like, it's really kind of like burning out your body if you do a lot of endurance type stuff. It's not the greatest for women. Are we kind of like screwing ourselves by doing, I guess, over-exercising or doing those types of activities? We have to take everything into context, right? If someone is waking up at 4am and getting five hours of sleep to go train for something, we're literally stepping over dollar bills to pick up pennies. Our sleep is incredibly invaluable to our health and our well-being. And so that's a problem, right? If we are, you know, trying to run a marathon because we want to lose a bunch of weight and so we figure we won't fuel ourselves, that can increase risk of a lot of different things, including injury. Um, And so that's when it really becomes a problem. And so I think we need to recognize like the entire system of what we're doing. So if you're sleeping eight hours and your stress is pretty good and you want to train for something and you're willing to put in the time to also fuel yourself and kind of when I work, I used to work with like more elite athletes. I would say a lot of my clients are still athletes. They still go to gyms and run races and all of that. And we talk about how your food and your sleep and all of that should be a part of your training. If we start treating it like a part of the training, it starts to actually happen as a opposed to saying, oh, well, you know, I, I don't have time, but I'm going to make sure I get my 10 mile run in, even if I sleep five hours and I didn't have time for breakfast. That's when it really becomes a problem. So I feel like there's a lot of scare tactics out there right now too, for women of being like, oh, well, like don't work out in your luteal phase sure. because you're going to burn yourself out. But instead it's like, how can we support women so that if they feel good and that feels good to them and they really like pushing their body or they want to run a race or, or, you know, maybe it's once a year, maybe it's, you know, a few times a year 
there's a lot of different ways that we can incorporate races and competitions and all of that. I think it's just a matter of taking into context. Like personally, I'm in a season where that doesn't make sense, right? We're, we have a young toddler, we're thinking about growing our family. And so my body is going to be really focused on something else right now. And so I hate that there's this whole like bounce back culture with like women who are having children, because it's not really a smart time for them to be burning the candle at both ends, their body is already burning the candle at both ends. So I think it's really important to take it into context and say, well, what's my stress like? How is my sleep? Am I able to fuel myself? Do I feel after I do most workouts? Do I feel rejuvenated? Or do I feel completely trashed? It's really knowing that difference. Like one thing that I always get frustrated by is when you're seeing on social media, people bashing different things like, well, women should never do F45. Women should never do CrossFit. Women should never be running ultra marathons. Or, you know, you can literally find an argument against every type of workout that's out there and an argument that pits a better workout. You know, you can say like you see, oh, endurance isn't good. Women should be doing weightlifting with HIIT. Well, weightlifting with HIIT isn't good. Women should be focusing on zone two cardio. Like there is an argument for and against every single thing out there. And to me, this goes a little bit back to, I know back in the Girls God Wad days, we had E.C. Sinkowski on who does the 800 gram challenge. And I don't necessarily agree with everything that that program stands for, but her point was, and I think you've made a similar point, Laura, but I always just remember her saying like that people come at, come after her for saying, yes, go ahead and eat 800 grams of bananas if that's the way you need to get your your like fiber or your plants in for that day. Because the problem is not bananas. You know, people are like, well, bananas are so high in sugar. It's like, listen to me, the problem is not bananas. And similarly, I think it's like, listen to me, the problem is not which exercise are you picking? Probably. The problem is look at the rest of your lifestyle. The problem yeah. is look at, you, you know, maybe you're not getting enough, you haven't been getting enough activity and then you just dive into like a marathon training program. Like the problem is likely not this one thing that you're trying to pit against other things. It's such a bigger picture. You're not going to solve it by just pitting F45 against zone two cardio or whatever the case may be. I'm glad you're, I'm really glad you said that because it makes me think about when I stopped doing CrossFit, the pandemic hit, uh, I was in a stressful job and then lost my job and the election stressed me out. I got graves because I was like robbing Peter to pay Paul type of thing where I was like, well, I need energy. I need to like burn off the stress. So I was hitting the treadmill so hard because we just got this Peloton treadmill. And during the pandemic, I had no other choice at the time. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I had a choice, but like, that's what I chose to do for exercise. And I think like now I'm scared of doing any type of other exercises because I'm like, why? But it's what you're saying is like the big picture. Like, let's hope to God I'm never in like a situation where all 10 of those things like culminated together that stressed me out so bad the exercise was just like not a good thing for me. But that really helps to be like, oh, if you're looking at your life where all the pieces are being taken care of and you're not just burning the candle both ends, then you can do what makes you feel good. Look at our relationship with our body and our fitness. And my friend Meg Carber, she's a dietitian. She works a lot with the eating disorder um, community. She talks a lot about the nervous system and how, and it's so funny because I've, I've learned a lot from her and kind of talked to her and I'm like, it's so interesting that my relationship with exercise before, like I was definitely, I didn't have the best relationship with exercise, right? Like it's not to say that I, I'm not anti-CrossFit. I don't think that nobody should do it. I just feel like by when I, I was using it at the end as a means to like feel worthy and to feel good enough. And I feel like I was doing it from a very dysregulated place. And so I would go so hard on days that I had no business going hard because I was so tired, but I felt like I had to prove something. And 
so now I go back and I'm in a much more regulated place and I can check in and I can say, you know, I, I do some stuff at home now and I check in and I go, no, like today's not the day. Like I want to move. So maybe that means I'm going to walk. Maybe that means I just go really light on my weights. Maybe I like pick and choose. And I think sometimes the community can be really good at helping that and can also be really detrimental, but it's not only the community's fault, right? It's also the work that we have to do for ourselves um, and really working on our nervous system and our relationship with fitness and body and understanding like when I'm going to a gym, am I capable of actually listening to my body or am I going to end up listening to everybody else and then have regrets, right? Like, am I going to go do, JJ and I just went and did Murph. Um, I haven't gone to CrossFit gym in, I don't know, a year. And we did partner Murph. There was a part of me that was like, you should have done whole Murph. No, I shouldn't have. Like, I am nowhere near trained for that. And I'm so glad that I I literally went in with a plan. I was like, no, you will not overdo it. And I, JJ was on my side. He's like, we were, we're just doing partner, like, and just like, that's still a hard workout. Um, and so it's, it's also like working on your relationship very, with very fitness hard, and then, yeah. and then also making sure your community is supportive of it and not just pu- pushing you for the sake of the leaderboard or RX or whatever it is, you know, wh- whatever programming that you use. It's hard. It's hard when you're in that environment to tune it out. I like what you said about the nervous system. We do that a lot in therapy too, around just helping people calm their nervous system, doing meditation, making sure they're checking in with their body taking deep breaths, putting cold water on their face, like making sure that you're doing some things throughout the day that are just kind of resetting. Okay, we have to wrap up. We have, I have one last question that I want to ask you that's, uh, I texted you earlier today, but I was at the gym recently and everyone had like these huge gallon water bottles and the ones that had like, by 9am drink this, by 10am drink this. I need a, a quick reminder that, and I actually put, I, the reason I asked you this too is I saw recently on your story, someone asked about like how much water you need. You're like, it depends. They're like, because I'm not thirsty. You're like, well, it's, you don't really need that much that much water so how much water do you or like what's that the, the myth that's like by the time you feel thirsty you're already dehydrated no it's because real? you can be thirsty for so many different reasons i mean you work with people who are anxious right you could have a dry mouth because you're anxious or you're talking a lot right so you do not need to drink a gallon of water a day I think that that's like a really bro thing to do. Most people benefit from starting at about half their body weight in ounces. Some people, if that's too much, we start at just about eight cups or 64 ounces. Most people will be fine there. And then we taper up or down based on tolerance. When we drink too much water, we end up just peeing it out because we can't use it. And so that's the value of using electrolytes, things like liquid IV or element or just salt um, and lemon juice, free free for most people because you have it at home already. So do what you used to do in college, but just take out the tequila. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's basically having enough electrolytes to actually pull the water into the cell so that you can actually use the water appropriately. So a lot of people will say like, Oh my God, I'm drinking so much more water and yet I'm peeing all the time and I don't feel like I'm hydrated. I'm like, yeah, because it's just like running right through you. So we want to make sure that we are, if we're drinking more water and we're having trouble with like feeling like we're still thirsty and yet we're peeing all the time, we probably need some electrolytes in there to help us actually use it and usually when we do that, we need less water. That doesn't mean that you only need to drink 20 ounces a day. You probably still need 64 to 80 ounces. Most, I would say most people fall into there. Um, for those who are pregnant, we try to do closer to 100 because your blood volume increases. So you just need more water and electrolytes. Um, also, if you're nursing. And then if you're someone who sweats a lot, you probably will need more than that as well. So in the summer months, you might find that 100 ounces is actually where you're comfortable. And in the winter months, it's 64. And so it can fluctuate throughout the year, can fluctuate throughout seasons of life, but most people do not need a gallon of water 
water a day because it's likely just running right through you. Okay. And so truly, if they're just peeing all day, it's running right through you and you're not really absorbing it. So it's, we really can stop just running to the bathroom. Okay. Okay. Another question in the chat. Is it true that if salty water tastes good, like unflavored element type thing, which like just like ocean water, does it mean (laughs) that you probably needed it? I'm of the belief if you're craving something and, and like that, something that might be a little bit like you wouldn't want it in other scenarios, then your your body probably needs it. And I would say a lot of people, I love liquid IV too, but I got a lot of hate for that the other day. But I would definitely say that salt is, if if you're craving salt, that likely means that you need more sodium. And I think we're so scared of sodium because there's been so much talk about how we need to go low sodium for low blood pressure. Um, But sodium actually isn't the problem. It's usually like the packaged foods and the the processed foods and processes really like, you can go down a rabbit hole of what that even means, but like, frozen foods and stuff um, can be bad for hypertension. Um, And so so not all sodium is bad. And some people need more like three to 4,000 milligrams per day, where I think the RDA is like 2,300. So you might need double that. And we're also finding like, I have a lot of women who suffer from like migraines. And a lot of times they'll tell me they crave salt. And it's because they're actually dumping salt through their urine. And so your your needs actually increase when you're experiencing something like a migraine, which I think is interesting. Um, Why did you get hate for liquid IV? Because there's sugar in it. There is sugar in it. So like, is that a bad bad thing? Here's the thing. Once again, it all depends, right? It's all within context. It's all within context. It all depends. I like it. I don't drink enough water and I love it. And I don't drink too much water either. But my naturopathic doctor did say the same thing. She's like, half your body weight. No, there's nothing wrong with it. I literally, people ask me my favorite electrolytes and I, or I don't even know what it was about. (laughs) And I said, yeah, I love things like liquid IV and element. And there's so many out there. Like, yes, I have a code for liquid IV, but I also think there's so many other ones out there that I'm just like, I, I don't, I want you to find the one that works for you and you feel best with. That's part of why I got into dietetics. I didn't get in here so I could just be an influencer. I didn't even know an influencer was a thing when I became a dietitian. But yeah, liquid IV is totally fine. Um, someone asked about Gatorade yeah. and G2. Depends, you know, I think that it all, it's all within context. If that's what you like and you feel good with it, I think it can totally fit into a healthy lifestyle. I recently, there was something I was messaging you about that I was going through. I can't remember what it was, but you were like, well, maybe you need potassium. And I was like, how do I get Mm -hmm. potassium? And you said coconut water. So I've been drinking a lot of coconut water. And that's actually but really only good. if it's cold. But the only one that I kind of like is the Vita Cocoa mix yeah, is good. We went over like, like what two or three episodes ago. Yeah, we reviewed the fact that I think that coconut water tastes like a foot. Yeah, so I'm gonna have to get my potassium from elsewhere. Maybe the 800 grams of bananas that I'm gonna eat later. <laughs> <laughs> Except I also don't buy bananas because I think they contribute to climate change. Guys. This is going well for you. <laughs> Wait, bananas contribute to climate change? This is the whole other episode. Uh-oh. There was okay, a reason okay. banana not but I've talked about this recently too. Like bananas yeah. are like the flag. They are the hill I will die on for no logical reason. I know it does. It's just illogical. Oh, yes. I will die on this hill that I remember. people in North America should not be eating bananas. Okay. I remember you. So, I remember this conversation. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I think the summary of this too, Laura, is like we're not going to get it perfect and it's not meant to be perfect. If we live our lives in this box of trying to be perfect with diet and exercise, we're just going to be miserable. So I so appreciate the information that you put out. I always look forward to your posts. Listeners, if you don't follow her, give her a follow. It's at the Sassy Dietitian. Two T's, no C. Dietitian. Dietitian. Yeah, you put the tit in dietitian. 
diet is teen. <laughs> and don't forget, you can check out our sponsor, Ned. Go to helloned.com, H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com forward slash joy, J-O-Y, or use this kind of code joy for 15% off your order. You can find us on Instagram at joyandclaire underscore. You can go to our website, joyandclaire.com. You can email us. This is joyandclaire at gmail.com. Thank Thanks you guys for having so much me. for being here. Thank you, Sassy. Talk to you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.